This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the Contributes tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, Democracy Now!, This Week in Blackness, Back Talk from Bitch Media, The the Black Guy Who Tips, The Benjamin Dixon Show, and The David Pakman Show. You know, it turns out Sandra Bland was a Black Lives Matter activist. She was just doing what anyone else would do in her situation, driving to her new job. She sees, and and, and now I'm speaking from knowledge that we have gained from this dash cam footage. She is driving down the road. She passes a police officer going in the opposite direction. The police officer bangs a Yui, speeds up, significantly to overtake her and as he's pulling up on her she pulls over into the right lane to let him pass and she doesn't signal when she does that and so he takes that opportunity to pull her over and then he approaches the car and you can hear the exchange look you cannot get arrested for being brusque for not being friendly there is no legal requirement for you to be super polite and listen to this exchange do we have this audio i know i didn't plan to to play it but this is just where i have it all right play this audio you can hear this is from the dash cam video the cop is talking to sandra bland sitting in her vehicle it's stunning this guy wants not just compliance, not just deference. He just wants her to have an attitude that says, I know I'm in business, I'm in charge. This has nothing to do with his personal safety. Not, there's not a single moment where that officer could ever make an argument that she was in any way a threat to his personal safety. And the reason why I say that is because in the course of him wanting more compliance, he whips out his taser, and you can hear him saying at one point, I'm going to light you up. All right, so play this video. Okay, man. You okay? I'm waiting on you. you. This is your job. I'm waiting on you. What do you want me to do? Oh, you seem very irritated. I am. I, I really am. All right, pause it right there. I, I want to make sure that people understand what that exchange was. He walks up to the car. He says, um, oh, you seem a little irritated. And she says, yeah, I am irritated. You pulled me over, even though I just pulled over to let you pass me. And... Yeah, I find that really irritating. Now, I guess she could have said, oh, no, officer, I'm not irritated. This is great for me. But instead, she answered him honestly. Yeah, I'm irritated. But that's not going to stop you from giving me a ticket. Well, the officer doesn't like that. Because that's an infraction of the civil code of you can't express irritation to an officer if he asks you about it. I'm not sure what the number is, apparently. Go ahead. Are you done? You asked me what was wrong, and I told you. Okay. So now I'm done, yeah. Okay. 
You mind putting out your cigarette, please? For mine. Pause it. Okay, so he challenges her. Are you done? Are you done back-talking me? Yes, officer, I'm done. But now the officer is thinking like, oh, okay. Well, you know what? I want more deference. This is how a parent, I think, who gets caught up in their own sense of how they should be respected by their child and then says, like, I'm going to, you know what? It's not enough that you've complied with what I've just said. I'm going to push you a little further. I'm going to test to see. This is what this is about. And in some way, this dynamic is exactly what was going on with Eric Garner when the cops came out there and said, like, I'm go we're going to show everybody on this street what we can do. We're going to show everybody on this street how much deference you should have to us. So this cop says, would you mind putting out your cigarette? Now, maybe the smoke was blowing in his face. He's outside. She's in the car. But she's under no obligation to put out her cigarette. She's under no obligation. to. He's writing up his ticket, gives it to her. She signs it. That's the end of this exchange. I'm in my car. Why do I have to put out my cigarette? Well, you can step on out now. I don't have to step out of my car. Step out of the car. Step no, out of the car. No, you don't have the right. Step not, out of the car. You do not have the right to do that. I do have the right. Now step I out or I will remove I you. I refuse to talk to you other than to identify myself. Step out or I will remove you. I am getting removed for a failure. Step out or I will remove you. I'm giving you a lawful order. Get out of the car now or I'm going to remove you. And I'm calling my I'm going to yank you out of here. Okay, you're going to yank me out of my car? Get out. Okay. All right. Let's, let's do this. Yeah, Get out of the car. And then you I will light me? you up. Get out. Wow. Now. Wow. Get out of the car. For a failure to signal. You're doing all of this for Get over there. To force her out of the car, he whips out his taser to threaten her. She gets out of the car. He then cuffs her behind her back, brings her to the side. You can't see anymore, but you can start to hear that at one point, She's not complying enough with him. Even her, her hands are cuffed behind her back. One point, a second cop comes. They've got her face shoved into the ground. Now, there are multiple times after this where the tape is cut. Ten seconds here, 12 seconds there. People who edit tape for a living looked at it. But, but it's frankly, you don't need to be an editor. <laughs> it's poorly done. You have cars driving by in the periphery, and they're gone. And then they reappear. That's just poor editing. That's edited, I would guess, because of the audio. We can't see stuff that's happening, for the most part. It would have been weird to miss any action over 10 seconds. My guess is there's audio there. And someone not very well versed in video editing didn't know enough to take 
some of the background noise and replace the audio only. They did it with video editing, and they put this tape out. That in and of itself is really amazing. But here's the bottom line. There is a problem with police officers who think that they have a right to be spoken to, or they have a right to arrest people who speak to them in a manner that they find rude. That's not what your job is as a cop. Your authority does not go to controlling how people relate to you beyond whether or not they're complying with what you have legitimate authority to ask them to do. Are you done? Yes, I'm done. Well, then you know what? Jump through another hoop for me. Because I want to see you dance. In a later section of the video, which previously came to light after it was filmed by a bystander, Bland accuses police of slamming her head to the ground and says, quote, I can't even hear. She also tells Trooper Insinia she has epilepsy, and he replies, good. Some have claimed the dash cam footage released by authorities appears to have been edited. Three days after her arrest, Sandra Bland was found dead in her jail cell. Trooper Insinia has been placed on administrative duty, desk duty, for the duration of the investigation into Sandra Bland's death which the Waller County District Attorney's Office is treating, quote, like a murder investigation, unquote. On Tuesday, Texas State Senator Royce West told reporters the newly released dash cam footage shows Bland should never have been arrested in the first place. Meanwhile, at Sandra Bland's memorial service Tuesday, her mother, Geneva Reed Veal, spoke about the death of her daughter. Let's be fooled. That was my baby. She wasn't my convict. She wasn't the suspect. She was my baby. And it would behoove y'all to think about what you all were doing at her age. So some of the stuff that's in the news is true. Some of the stuff that's in the news is not. But the real issue here is something occurred that is going to change the world. During this, uh, during, uh, there was an action happening uh, at, at Netroots, and so uh, during there was a the town hall's happening. Martin O'Malley is up there, and then he's going to get off stage, and then um, and then uh, Bern, Bernie Sanders is going to go up there. Uh, before that happened, uh, the Black Lives Matter activist uh, took to the room, and they uh, and they called out uh, 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 what you call it uh, the. Uh, the, pro- the progressive space as a whole, I believe a lot of people uh, have been, uh, uh, it's been misreported on, a nu- on numerous occasions uh, that uh, uh, supposedly, supposedly the, uh, 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 that they came in there and they were, they were, they were uh, boycotting, I mean, like protesting these people. Don't you know, Elon, didn't you plan it? Oh, we haven't even gotten to that part yet. Okay. So, 
it was, it was supposed Unruly to be, black women, how dare they? They, so they, they, they were boycotting these, the, the, these, these, uh, these, not boycotting, uh, protesting these candidates. Uh, when the, uh, one of the lead organizers on this, uh, particular, um, action, uh, Tia Oso of, uh, the Black Lives Matter down in, uh, Phoenix, uh, has said numerous times that this was more about the progressive space as a whole, like, what, what the space that represents, that Netroots represents, uh, and the, o- the overall, uh, space there. And they basically requested that they, uh, these, uh, these candidates, uh, that were there, that was coming to there to use this space that is in fact, uh, they're, I mean, they're, they're the locals there. They requested that they, uh, deal with what was happening and, 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 and respond and, and that there should be a seat at the table for them as well. And, uh, what, what started off hilarious was, uh, O'Malley decided that he wanted to let folks know that uh, he was trying to respond to it, uh, and he he dropped the uh, Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. That did not go over well. Uh, When I say it did not go over well, I mean I was actually in the hall next to it when that happened uh, because uh, the the Twit Media stage was right next to the auditorium where all of this was happening, and I was actually on the stage because our equipment uh, that uh, that we broadcast from Netroots with was all stolen the night before, and so I'm on the stage and I hear White Lives Matter, and I go, and and Amani, this is I I want you to be clear, is I literally go. The fuck did I just hear? <laughs> and I go, and I, and I say, and I yell out, like, to no one in particular, did he just say white lives matter? And the thing was that there were, like, security guards that were around, cause, like, they had, uh, we had, um, they had been called down about, uh, about the fact that our stuff was stolen. And they were just, and they were also doing their job, uh, of, of securing the, uh, the hall. And when I yell this out, security is like, yes, he did say it! With <laughs> <laughs> security back? Uh, a, a, a black Hispanic. And please note, there were white folks too. Everyone was like, no, he didn't just say that. There was like white dudes like, like at, at booths that were just like, I could I, I turn around and like it wasn't just like one or two people. Everyone within range of me was like, yes, he said it. What the fuck? Like it was like people lost their loving mind. Like you saw like the the the, the reasonable version of that uh, on uh, on the stream. Like the people that were around in the room were just like, what the hell? What the entire hell? I didn't even hear. I did not even hear him say white lives matter because I my brain was like, no, <laughs> no, that is that's wrong. You wouldn't I'm say that. Deaf. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. No. At a certain point, uh, what's more, O'Malley goes comes off stage. He basically gets uh, brought off stage because there's not a lot he can do on that situation. Because especially he's not responding in a way. He's not actually laying anything down uh, that what they're going to do. Like what what's his response to this? And he and he's already stepped in it with the whole white lives matter all thing or whatever. Right. Like uh, that's egregious. Like all lives matter is bad enough. White, wh- 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 white right. lives matter. Well, the thing is that, like, and, and, and so let's be really clear on this, uh, because people seem to still be getting uh, getting confused by this. The, when and, and anyone who's listening to the show, I feel like, kind of gets this already. But just in case you don't understand this, uh, the, the reason why it's so annoying and people uh, flip out when they say uh, white lives matter, all lives matter, is because this is not something that's uh, up for debate. We know that white lives matter. Well, we know that white lives all uh, basically everyone. We know whose lives matter. What we don't know is whether or not Black Lives Matter, because every time we're like, we keep dying in the streets. But apparently, white li- Black Lives Matter. Of course, they like all lives matter. No, 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 no. There's an emergency within Black life, and that's why when all of a sudden you say something like all lives matter or white lives matter, and you recenter the entire conversation when it's about specifically a community that's under siege currently. Yeah, but that's just because of black on black crime, right? <laughs> Ow! Oh my god! I mean, that's what I—that's what the—that's what people don't understand. 
right? They don't understand that the black community is in a state of emergency right now. We are in crisis. Crisis? Crisis! Okay, calm down. Which is, sounds like ISIS, but you put a CR on top. Okay. It's like ISIS. I need you to breathe. Worse. <laughs> and it's just, you know, you can't... I, I just... Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I feel like maybe I'm just so constantly talking about activism and involved in Twitter and politics and what's going on that, like, I cannot fathom a world where a presidential candidate gets on stage in front of a group of black people and says, white lives matter, all lives matter. It's like, where, who are, who's working on your campaign? (laughs) Mm-hmm. No, the, I'm going to go with no, no black, black people, people for a hundred, Alex. And the thing yeah. is, I know for a fact that there are black people on his campaign. Uh, he just stepped in it. And it's I just, mean, please don't. It's not a lot of black people, but there are but black I mean, people like, involved. You know, to, y'all know I ain't a Hillary fan. But to Hillary's credit, she hired Maya Harris as a senior advisor. And Maya Harris is, she's Kamala Harris' sister. She's like, she's, she's the one who basically, she wrote a really great article for Center for American Progress last year where she broke down exactly why it is people of color, specifically women of color, specifically black women are this growing voting block and how you, you cannot, you know, carry on a campaign ignoring these people. Like she knows what the fuck she's talking about. They and Hillary Clinton was like, I'm gonna hire this bitch because she knows what the fuck she's talking about. She knows how I can how I can reach out to black women and to black people. And what is what what are Bert, what are I, Bert I feel, and I feel like, I feel Money, like, I don't feel think like, she said bitch. I feel like she didn't say I'm gonna hire this bitch. She might have said I'm gonna hire this bitch. bitch. I don't. I she feel like, said, I'm a, I'm hiring this nigga. Your I, Hillary I, I, impression I'm sure is, is the, the worst. The absolute worst. I am going the to absolute hire worst. this bitch. <laughs> <She> <laughs> I mean, like, please don't know. Vaguely British. Yeah. What are you saying? Is that how all white people sound to you? Are you high? No. Should be though. This is like this. Current, your current definition yeah, is terrible, uh, and so and so yeah, and so this whole so uh, it's it's going down, and so uh, people are like literally attacking, uh, uh, like yelling at protesters in the hall, right? Uh, about like shut up and let them speak or whatever. Other people, was there, there was some, a couple of turned up white folks that were yelling at other white folks, so you shut up and let them speak or whatever. So like it was becoming a thing, and Sanders comes out and he has the opportunity to like announce a uh, response to this, and he doesn't. He's like on his stump game. And he's like talking that. He has talking points. He has talking points. He won't get to hit it until later that night when he has another rally. Right. And so he starts doing that, and it does not go over well. But the the thing is that, like, the way it was reported is that, like, uh, Bernie Sanders was heckled. It's like, no, 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 no. People were asking him to respond to something. He refused to respond to it, and people did not let that go. Because heckling, like, like I'm I'm a comic. I take offense to when people call something heckling. It's like, I know what heckling is. I've been heckled before. This was not heckling. This was like, it's like if, like, if people are actively try- get, trying to get a response out of their, uh, out of someone who apparently wants the support of this community in his bid for the president's, uh, presidency, that's not heckling at that point. I know so heckling, perhaps- and no one at any point yelled out at Bernie, not funny! <laughs> not once! <laughs> not one time! <laughs> yeah, no, that never, that never occurred. And so... People wondered, like, why did they protest this thing? Why do your your allies and anyone who's ever listened who listens to uh, Twib here is very much aware of what we've talked about before about the schism within the progressive space uh, and the black community. And this is something this is only a surprise to people who have not been paying attention because it's not like something that we haven't been yelling for for quite some time now about like, hey, progressives, white progressives, get your shit together, white progressives, and then they just ignore it. And then all of a sudden this happens and it becomes very, very public. And they're like, whoa, what are you doing? How are you going to do this? We're on the same side. Are we? 
No. Because when you say we're on the same side, I know a lot of black folks who will tell you flat out, what, so you're not on my side. Like, people have clearly mentioned their feelings about this and, and loudly. This is not a surprise, oh my God, we have this weird thing that we need to deal with. Like, no, it's some, it's been a, an emergency that has been needed to be dealt with for years, Imani, and they're pretending as if this is some sort of side swipe and that, oh my God, you can't, no, this is, no, and I'm like, why aren't you, why are you protesting your only ally? Why aren't you protesting Republicans? Why aren't you protesting President Obama? Why don't you shut your trap and, and listen to what black people are saying? And like, well, and the first thing they were saying was that they're not actually protesting, uh, what you call it, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders or O'Malley. This was a, this is the white progressive space as a whole, which in all honesty, I am totally for it being uh, being protested. Protest the shit out of it, because frankly, white progressives, y'all fucking up. And then the idea of, and, and I know that I guess I was not supposed to say anything or voice support for, for, uh, for uh, what you call it, T.O. So and Patrice Colors and everyone that was a, a part of it. I was supposed to like be quiet because of my affiliation with Netroots, which I find hilarious. I'm like, have you paid attention to anything I've said or done? Are you familiar these? with my work? <laughs> exactly. This, like, <laughs> like, the idea that I would not support what they were doing is madness like this is that's ridiculous like like the fact is one did i plan it no did i know exactly what they were going to do no had no clue about any of this whatsoever but once it happens like yeah no that's that that's i understand that's right no no, deal with this and you know what in the past four days we've watched the all of the uh, presidential candidates scramble to all of a sudden finally make the argument that around this and please no no one's still laid out real policy yet but But now all of a sudden now they're talking about it bernie sanders is uh, saying her name he actually said because during the the uh, what your process they were like say her name sandra bland say her name sandra bland what, what are you talking about you're sandra not clear bland. with your demands <laughs> they say whose name and then well, he had a really nice uh, gaff of a tweet that he immediately deleted where he goes i will say her name sandra bland freddie gray eric garner <laughs> i was like bagel and lock deep fried shoelace hold like, on rose do it does not see color and that is why or gender or gender I mean, here's the thing. With your People cis were, names and your... Your cis names and your cis privilege. Yep. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, I think that this Black Lives Matter protest did exactly what it was intended to do. Oh, yeah. Which was to raise awareness about the Black Lives Matter movement. Particularly to raise awareness about what black women, who are, by the way, need, need I remind you yet again, we are the most loyal voting Democratic bloc ever. For decades, in history, 2012, we won it for Obama. 2008, we won it for Obama. Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, we won it for him. Bill de Blasio, we won it for him. You cannot win. You cannot win without black women. So when there are a group of black women standing in front of you being like, yo, say her name, Sandra Bland, you're like, what? what Sandy Duncan? She had one eye. I don't get it. What's going on? Hey. She did have one eye. She did, but that's not. That sounded like a. That sounded like a. That sounded like a. That was triggering to him. The mean thing. I like Sandy Duncan. Yeah, I had her one eye. Faces Sandy Duncan. So here's the thing. Um, <laughs> Sammy so, Davis Jr. So shut up. One eye. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's just I'm one eye people. people. I hate everyone here. So with my patch. Betty Wap. And so Betty Wap. <laughs> oh my God. Just just naming people. And so <laughs> with one eye. I, just really, just all of you. As we so. The, the the thing here, like, so Sanders messed up, right? Cool. He stepped in it. He, yeah. did, he didn't respond. O'Malley's messed up. Cool. He said white lives matter, all lives matter. Cool. O'Malley immediately comes back. 
And it's just like, and, and, and sits down, he talks with Eldroy at the uh, Twitter media stage. Apologizes. Boom. Got it. Sanders. That's all you need. Sanders. Uh, it's not all you need. Because I mean, please don't. O'Malley, O'Malley has, a, has some a really problematic record. But the point is, but, he did at least respond. Exactly. Right. Right. Now, Sanders disappears. Boom. But then that, and, uh, for hours. And when he could have talked directly to people, didn't. That night, he comes out, he said something uh, in his speech. The next day, he all of a sudden he starts mentioning it. And by day, I think by yesterday, it was funny, he was on the Ed Show. Or it was yesterday or the day before, and he's on the Ed Show, and Ed Show actually brings up economics, and he pivots from economics to go back to discussing Sandra Bland. When he would not even do that, like when it would be yelled at him, and he's calling for political protest as he yells over a political protest. Right. All of a sudden, now he's out having this discussion, which is great. That's the point. That's the point That's of this. That's the point. And at the same time, Black Lives Matter is, is still being uh, is being demonized. I'm still being attacked right and left, and I and, and I, I didn't even like people are starting now at this point are now linking me to attacks uh, against me. Uh, like I said, like I, when I first saw that like um, uh, uh, that my name popped up on sand uh, on uh, on 4chan, I was like, well, that's a problem. And then when I saw that um, uh, like it was popping up like like even within the coast community and the different, I was like, huh. Interesting. So I decided to actually respond to this, uh, and I actually posted something over at Daily Coast. And at this point, there are 875 comments oh, <laughs> on, on this. So if you feel like want to go through that, uh, you can you can do that. But just you so, have three days and a lot, have, of free time. a lot of time, free time. Yeah, we you have do something that. for you. But I'll say exactly what uh, uh, what. Um, I, I said in this uh, particular thing after I pl- pointed out that I did not actually um, do this uh, and that I ran I, – I, I say I ran into the auditorium and immediately started covering the action as I have done across the nation from New York City, Ferguson to Baltimore to Berkeley. These I have done, done it all these places. Some of you have called for my firing from Netroots. Some of you have said I have helped destroy a progressive space. And to those folks, I say, what do you think Netroots is? Every year there are protests. This shouldn't be a surprise. And while I ask I am affiliated with Netroots, my stance on these issues and actions are quite public. And why in the world would Netroots Nation be upset at me for being the exact person that I was hired in the first place? I've been a, a member of this space before my official capacity for years. I would think that many of you would be happy that Netroots is a space that uh, as a space that's accepting of strong voices and wouldn't ask us to tone down or silence us. Also, Netroots Nation released a statement, a message in support of the action that took place. Why would you, why would you want this progressive space to simply be a spot where people drop stump speeches and not listen to the people? Do you know how white Netroots has been? And now you're angry that people of color are actively coming at this space and demanding a place at the table? I find this very problematic. Your desire to protect politicians is a place is being placed above this state of emergency that is black life in America. So just to be clear, I will continue to be as vocal as I have been uh, because I actually give a shit about the progressive space. I want to I want it to be inclusive and supportive of voices that are constantly be silenced and give them a platform to make people listen. So we, uh, we've seen it start to work already. So as opposed to throwing anger towards the protesters or myself, perhaps you should throw some of that same energy at the candidates so that they will get their shit together. If you care about the coalition, Coalition, uh, a coalition that can win, then maybe you should care about the voices that have been ignored for decades.
the next piece of news we're talking we're going to talk about is um, over the weekend there was this uh, progressive conference called Net Roots Nation, and so they invited um, Democratic presidential nominees to attend to talk to their audience. Uh, and so Bernie Sanders showed up and former governor, Maryland governor Martin O'Malley showed up. Uh, Hillary Clinton sat it out because it's probably, she feels like she's too good for stuff like this. <laughs> she's like, things. I don't think I need that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so what happened was, I guess like it was supposed to be more of like uh, a town hall things where these candidates show up and their members would sit in the audience and just kind of listen to them speak and maybe have a Q&A at the end. Um, but uh, activists from the Black Lives Matter movement showed up and they disrupted it and um, they asked some really great questions. Um, two women in particular, uh, Tia Oso and Patrice Collars, and Patrice Collars is one of the three women who founded the Black Lives Matter movement. They actually went on stage um, to talk about uh, the death of black men and women in police custody to, so, to bring these issues to light. And, um, Martin O'Malley, the former governor, he, he made, I mean, like, while this was happening, he's trying to comment on it and he made the comment of, uh, oh, black lives matter, white lives matter, all lives matter, like completely missing the point of what the movement is trying to say. And, uh, but, but real talk, like, Martin O'Malley's on nobody's radar, right? So it was really like waiting to see what Bernie Sanders was going to say. So he comes out on stage and, um, and the activists, you know, they start to raise their voice again to be like, well, you address this as well. And he was just, he just kind of became like this crotchety old white guy. And like, and uh, if you watch the video of this, he would just kind of like speak over them or like not acknowledge them. Um, and he just kept pointing back to this notion that like, like, yes, there's racial inequality, but we need to like, in order to fix this, we need to talk about like economic inequality. Um so like that whole thing happened and it was it was so bizarre to see it, it just just watching the video he just seems so out of touch about this this um movement that's you know happening on the ground with people and that affecting that affect their real lives and so a lot of uh, black activists on twitter like called him out on it and a lot of supporters for bernie sanders would then uh respond to the activists the black lives matter activists and say things like, yes, well, um, you know, Bernie Sanders marched with MLK <laughs> or like, you know, he was a big civil rights activist as if those things uh, means that he's like on point and in touch with the Black Lives Matter movement. So that was like a huge critique of that. And and I read this really great piece on Salon uh, titled Dear White Progressives, Stop Telling Black People How to Vote by Janessa Robinson. And in it, she talks about how it's a, it's really condescending for um most like for white progressives to tell black people like how they should be feeling about this candidate um a really great line from it was she said quote this entire culture of white people feeling as though they know what's best for blacks is rooted in paternalism and so then she talks about um like the his history of of black folks in america and and how they arrived here, right? And, and what they've been told that they can and can't do, cannot do. 
Um, and another quote that she said was, the reality is that no part of this political system truly benefits black liberation when our institutions are built on anti-blackness. The entire political system perpetuates systems of oppression, and therefore each candidate and party cannot escape complicity in reinforcing oppression of blacks. I just thought this was, this was so interesting to talk about uh, in terms of what the um, the upcoming year of cam- years of campaigning will look like. Um, because like right now, political candidates, they haven't established exactly what they're going to push, what their policies are going to be. Basically, the whole horse race right now is all about rhetoric and all about what they're saying. And they're kind of figuring out who they are as voters are figuring out who the, who, who the candidates are. So I think this is a really interesting time to see like, okay, well, how do they react to these kinds of things? And, and what is going to be on their policy agenda in a few years? You know, when people are running for, president and they have their their platform set when when the democrats put together their national platform what's going to be on it that that responds to the social issues that have really been on everyone's hopefully on everyone's mind for the last two or three years you know how are there are there ways that our policies can address systemic racism and discrimination and um and, and widespread police violence are there ways that we can address that with policies and when what are these candidates going to propose I think that's really interesting to think about what's going to come up and how the hopefully the policies that are discussed in the presidential election are going to reflect on what people have been pushing for in the streets for the past few years. You know, I hope that I don't know presidential candidates will take their cues from protesters, but what if they did? Yeah, that would be incredible. It's just I think that one of the shocking things about uh for me, uh, in viewing this this scenario unfold, is how seemingly out of touch these candidates are um, to social issues that are affecting like a huge population in America. Uh, like a couple of days after what happened at Netroots, um, Hillary's campaign released a statement from Hillary's, and in it she she says like Black Lives Matter. And I, I forget where I read this, but I think it may have been on Twitter. But somebody commented like like Hillary saying that Black Lives Matter. Um, it is important, but it also just kind of means that maybe she hired like a, um, a black advisor to tell her to say this, right? So we really have to watch closely to how um, Democratic candidates um, will be campaigning and what kind of legislation they will propose, because um, I think there's this notion that like people of color should vote Democrat because we don't want a Republican in office, um, but but our Democrats doing work for people of color, especially black folks. I, I think that um, hearing the phrase all lives matter on stage is depressing. Um, it really brings to mind, uh, there was another conference last week um, called Blog Her, which is like a big national meetup of specifically women who are writers online. And they um, had a keynote panel from two of the founders of Black Lives Matters, um, including Opal Tometi. And she had such a great, quote. So I think this is such a good contrast to what happened at Netroots. What happened at Blogger is, oh, these people didn't have to disrupt the conference. They were actually the keynote speakers on stage and uh, when talked about all the issues with Black Lives Matter. And here's here's the quote from uh, from Opal Tometi that I like the most. She says, we're living in a crisis era and people are still wanting to be colorblind and to gloss over and to act like we're in this post-racial era. And we're not. We know we're not. And she added, we know that all lives matter. We are well aware of that. But the reality is that anti-black violence is killing our people and it's undermining our lives at every corner. And we have to get very real and precise about what is taking place. And so I th- I just, I think that over the last few months, um, 
there's been so much written about why it's important to say Black Lives Matter and not be like, but all lives matter. You know, because and I think that's really what she's speaking to is that it's um, I think people really want to think that we've progressed beyond a point that we have. You know, it's it's I think I think white people specifically uh, really want to think that everything's okay, And it's not. I mean, how can we possibly win? Like just recently, the case with Sandra Bland, who is got pulled over for not using her turn signal. Yeah. And I think that a lot of white people think like, oh, man, sucks for that person. Like that case is bad. Oh, and this other case is bad. And this other case is bad. But don't see that as being like race. Racism is a systemic and oppressive force in our society. Right. Or or like what Bernie Sanders said basically is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah racism is bad. But like um, economic discrimination is more important. Class trumps race in America. And I just don't think I just don't think we we should think that way. You know, I think it should be we should we can address um, racism and we can discuss economic inequalities and those things are really interconnected in a lot of ways. And so I don't think it's helpful to be like, yeah, okay, be quiet about racism. We're going to focus on class. I th- I mean, somebody needs to get Bernie Sanders into some type of like racial justice 101 course, and so he can figure this shit out because this is unfathomable to I mean, me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I like Bernie Sanders a lot. I like a lot of things that he does, and so I want to see him develop in this way. Yeah, you know, I think I think uh, he has a, a lot of time before like the, the the actual nomination process comes, and it would be interesting to see him develop. A more political consciousness around this. The issue here is, uh, I was a mayor for eight years. Being a cop is a very, very difficult job. But the word has got to get out that when police act inappropriately, and of course in this case there has to be a thorough investigation, but for too many years, too many mostly black suspects have been treated terribly and in some cases murdered, that is unacceptable. And police officers have got to be held accountable for their actions. Second of all, in the neighborhood where this gentleman lives, as I understand it, the unemployment rate is over 50%, over 50%. What we have got to do as a nation is understand that we have got to create millions of jobs to put people back to work to make sure the kids are in schools and not in jails. So short term, we've got to make sure that police officers have cameras. We've got to make sure that we have real police reform so that suspects are treated with respect. Long term, we've got to make sure that our young people are working, they're in school, they're not hanging out on street corners. So as president, though, what do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you fix those problems? We've been hearing about those problems, as you and I well, know, for I've decades. Been, I've, along with John Conyers of Michigan, I've introduced legislation uh, which would uh, create a million jobs for young people in this country in some of the hardest pressed areas of America. Uh, real unemployment is a serious problem in this country. You've got to put our people back to work. Uh, I think the federal government has got to work with state and local governments to make sure that we move toward in, in Burlington, Vermont, when I was the mayor, we called community policing, where police are perceived as part of the community, the good guys, 
rather than as uh, interlopers, people who are from the outside coming. Okay. Um, here's a problem with that, in my opinion. What I hear there is a message that's twofold. One is, hey, if uh, we can get the police to do community policing and we can get them to be uh, more responsible, then um, we can uh, solve some of this oppression and some of this police abuse towards black people. I agree with that. I don't think he went far enough. I think he also needs to be looking at prosecuting police officers. I think he needs to be looking at uh, sending in grand jury, uh, sending in uh, the uh, attorney general. Uh, I mean, attorney general. Yeah, sending in, uh, you know, Loretta Lynch whenever it's time for uh, things like this to happen. Uh, he needs to be looking at, um, you know, cover-ups. He needs to be looking at federal investigations. Um, that kind of shit. I need to I need to know that because that's what President Obama does, and I don't think it's too much to ask to say that. Uh, yeah, you should have to do that as well. Next guy, I don't want it to stop just because you're white, and it's not your problem. Uh, second thing uh, that I noticed there, and this is always going to be a problem. He shouldn't be bringing up jobs at all in the context of this discussion. Because what that sounds like to me is the same thing it sounded like when the St. Louis Cardinals fans and their their racist asses whenever the black lives matter people protested at the st louis cardinals baseball games the racist fans used to come outside and say why don't you just get a job right they used to tell those people you don't have anything better to do than protest this why don't you just get a job yeah a job is not gonna make me not black you stupid motherfucker all right, now I don't care if you if you watch if you march a Martin Luther King, and that's what you came away with, then you didn't learn shit. Sorry, because the problem is still bigger than just whether or not I have a job or not. And if that isn't recognized in what you're talking about, then we can't talk. A job shouldn't even fucking come up. That shouldn't even be a part of the discussion. When he hear when they're talking about race, he should never be like, well. The unemployment rate is what's the real. No, it's not the real problem. Mm -mm. If they weren't hanging out on the corner, why the fuck can't I hang out on the corner in my neighborhood? Right, where I live. Why can't I do that? Do white people not hang out on the corner anymore? Is that not, is that not a thing? When I look at McKinney and I see a person that, you know, kids that go into a pool party, they're not hanging on the corner. They're going to have fun and swim with their friends. Police show up and throw a young girl on the ground, put their knee in her back, pull a gun on young black men. That doesn't seem like a problem with jobs. I'm sorry, Bernie, but you're missing the motherfucking boat. And I cannot give you my vote for that shit. And I cannot give your obtuse fans who are doing you a great disservice, doing your campaign a great disservice, mm -hmm. with their condescending attitudes and, and refusal to listen to what I'm saying. I cannot vote with people like that. I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton 2016. I don't give a fuck. If you're trying to tell me like, well, Bernie's not good on that as good as you want to be on race, but Hillary ain't either, then I might as well just give my vote to Hillary, right? I mean, fuck, y'all don't care. <laughs> hey, we're not going to be good allies, so hey, fuck it. Fuck that shit. Not that an ally is worth anything anyway, but yeah, it's, it's 100% not going to, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm tired of remembering black people's names who have died by the police. Come on now. 
i am going to die with these names tattooed on my soul that's how serious it is Mm -hmm. so i cannot stomach another motherfucker telling me to trust somebody who will not speak about it now i don't need you to just say her name when no black people are around come on now to an audience of white people i need you to say the name when we're around i need you to say the name at netroots i need you to sit down and meet with those activists i needed you to listen we didn't like you you like you're gonna sit up there and be like well if you don't trust my track record i'm out of here then oh so the first time it gets hard you're you're out well i don't want you as president then because that's not the kind of fucking ally i need shit got difficult i'm done i don't like your attitude i'm done why aren't you negroes being servile i'm done why are you negroes have something to say i'm done and we're supposed to sit down and worship that nope i'm supposed to want that in office fuck that fuck that shit I'd rather vote for the first woman president just on a whim then if that's the fuck we doing. I'm not I'm done trying to be fucking nice about the shit, man. I've been nice and you guys have been obtuse every goddamn day. Let me read a quote from you guys. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods or direct of direct action, who is paternalistic, believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Martin Luther King Jr. Look, I think Bernie um, was was too trapped in his script. They both did poorly. O'Malley, I thought, did poorly, too. He obviously clearly doesn't understand what Black Lives Matter means. We all know that people should believe that all lives matter. When O'Malley said all lives should matter, of course all lives should matter. The reason why the slogan Black Lives Matter has stuck is because it says something that is obvious, but is actually, in many uh, senses, not actually um, lived. And that's the whole point of the saying. <laughs> You're not quite getting, and there's a certain amount of irony there, but, uh, you know, to a certain extent, like the whole thing felt like grandpa doesn't get what's going on. 
And I felt that with O'Malley, and I felt that with Bernie Sanders. And, you know, I think part of the problem is, for white people, I I mean, it's too general to say that, but uh, I'm speaking broadly now. All lives matter is sometimes uh, a metaphor. Okay, I should say a Black Lives Matter is a metaphor. And I think Bernie Sanders addressed it on that level. Where there are policies that he would prescribe, and part of this is also his worldview, is that race is secondary to class in the way that our society is organized. And I think in America, of all places, that's a very hard argument to make. They're far more intertwined, I think. But it is true that Bernie's policies will help African Americans, and perhaps arguably more so disproportionately, will provide more help disproportionately to African Americans because... They have been systemically uh, oppressed and shut out of opportunities. But there's also a very real problem of race that impacts you whether or not you're a wealthy black person or a, um, a poor black person. And, you know, part of that was, you know, Sandra Bland. She's not, she's going to get a job. She's driving to get a a college graduate, I think, right? I mean, it's not necessarily that she doesn't have the opportunities. Uh, It's that fundamentally there is a tremendous amount of racism in this country, that that particularly when it comes to authority, the way that African Americans are treated is fundamentally different. And I think Sanders missed it. With all that said, uh, if I was running against Bernie Sanders in the primary, I'd be bummed that this happened in July, that his... I want to say tone deafness, but maybe tone deafness on this uh, subject was revealed because it gives him time to correct it. I mean, theoretically, the point of a protest like that, particularly in a place that is nominally allied or with people who you perceive to be potential allies or allies who you perceive as not paying enough attention and not spending enough resources and time and understanding of these issues, this is why you do that. So that your issue gets more prominence, and so that it becomes part of the agenda of people running for elected office, in addition to other things. And so from that perspective, you know, the next day, Bernie Sanders is in Dallas, and he mentioned Sandra Bland's name. And so he learned something. 
he learned that for a very important constituency in the Democratic Party, um, there are issues that he may not be fully sensitive to. Now, I would like to have thought and that he had staffers or had an awareness or a deeper understanding of this stuff. But I would like it for all politicians to have that. And I would argue that probably none of them do. <laughs> and so, if this is how it works, this is how it works, great. You know, I mean, that's that's the point of it. If there was... If it was not valuable for Bernie Sanders to learn a lesson and O'Malley to learn a lesson and, frankly, everybody involved in it to learn a lesson, if there was no value in that, then there was no point in the protest in the first place. So to see Bernie Sanders respond to it, I think um, that's a good thing. Asshole created a white progressives TM uh, Twitter account. Nah. White prog tw- uh, TM just to, just to talk shit at me because because and, and you, you know where that comes from uh, that that anger that's uh, that's Nicole Sandler bullshit because oh, yeah. she literally she literally said and I'm supposed to be smeared as some white progressive TM I'm not and not respond back or whatever so she's <laughs> she's still butthurt uh, uh, from from oh months yeah back. she and she I saw her and her little white friend cronies complaining about how they don't feel safe at Netroots anymore that's what I, that oh was the God. next thing they think Oh my God! I don't feel safe because Netroots was supposed to be this really safe little cozy space for white people to come and talk about drones and banks and GMO free what the fuck ever. And now we've got these black ladies and they're talking about there's some bla- there were some black men's too and the black men's and I, I gotta say like I was there I was at Netroots I was watching there was no point where I thought that they were like okay you know what now what we're gonna do next. I need you to say her name. Now we're going to sacrifice a white person. Just one, though. Just one. And then we're all going to be fine. There was no point. There was no point where there was any issue. Nothing happened except people use their voices to make themselves heard. We might have sacri- sacrificed one And if you find that terrifying, then it's very scary. And, and somewhere, there's a there's a blog post that uh, Chris Savage, who's a good, he's a good man, and as is his wife, Anne. But he posts over, <laughs> he's like always prominent at Netroots. So if you were at Netroots, you know who he is. He blogs under the name Eclectablog. He posted a guest post from a black woman, a black activist who was at Netroots. Her name is Summer Foster, I believe. And she wrote about how when the protesters first came in, she was trying to figure out whether or not she was going to stand up and join them. And then she started to listen to the people around her and she heard a lot of white people expressing their annoyance and how rude and disruptive and oh my God. And heard one white person say, Ugh, these people are animals. Why don't they go back to Baltimore? And now that's the kind of shit that you hear from conservatives every time there's a pro- an- another black death on Twitter. They're animals. They're unruly. And 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 that's but not the, and and not that, Ferguson, but and Baltimore, Baltimore, okay. Baltimore. And that's the kind of shit that white progressives think 
don't happen in white progressive spaces. They think, well, we're liberals, so obviously black people, come on, we got you. I mean, to a certain extent, we got you. As long as you don't make too much noise, we totally have you. Why are you so loud? You're disrupting Can you just sit here as our friend? Can yeah. you just sit here as our we, friend we silently need, we and nod you your head vote. sometime? So um, sometime in 2016, we're going to need you guys to vote. But until then, could you shut the fuck up and stop talking about how you're dying in the street? Because it's really bumming us out. I want to play for you a clip of Bernie Sanders, and he's talking about Sandra Bland's arrest. And I, and I want you to understand, I want you to listen to it, and I want you to see that somebody on Team Bernie got the message. Somebody on Team Bernie knows what's up and knows what must oh, be there's done. there's a lot that we have to do. This is Bernie Sanders, and he is talking about criminal justice reform in specific he's talking about um he is talking about sandra bland's arrest let's listen in he's on the ed show on msnbc here we go oh there's a lot that we have to do Ed. <clears throat> we have more people in jail than any other country on earth millions of lives have been destroyed because people are in jail for non <clears throat> non-violent crimes so we have to take a look at mandatory minimums we have to take a whole new look, I think, at our drug policy. We have to look at the militarization of police forces all over this country. We have to take a look at use of force policy. That's what you saw in that dreadful and painful video of Sandra Bland. What you saw is a, an aggressive, overactive police officer who dragged this woman out of her car, assaulted her, sent her to jail for what crime? A minor traffic violation. That happens all over this country, and it especially happens to people of color. So we need a real hard look at the way police departments function in America, uh, and we need to figure out a way that, in terms of how we treat uh, African, -American, African Americans, so that young people can walk down the street without having to worry about whether they're going to be harassed or shot in the back. We yeah. That's absolutely, that's absolutely somebody, somebody on Team Bernie, Bernie Sanders himself, obviously, but somebody on Team Bernie understands what he is going to have to do to beat Hillary Clinton. He must, he, listen, folks, it was it was it was painful for people to watch Bernie Sanders get interrupted on last Saturday. And a lot of people have been running and I've been talking about this all week and I'll probably hopefully this is the last day I have to talk about it. But people have been running to Bernie's defense and people have been running to his defense by attacking or trying to undermine or question the validity and the methodology of Black Lives Matter to the detriment of Bernie Sanders. What? Bernie Sanders has to do to win. He must begin to communicate his message 
in a language that is not only palatable, but is relevant to other demographics that are that are that he needs to capture. Bernie must get minorities and Bernie must get women. And one thing that Hillary Clinton has locked down right now is minorities and women. So there cannot be any equivocation. There cannot be any any fear There can't be. You cannot win this by lecturing them. You cannot do this by trying to tell black people that their that their problems can all be fixed if we just look at economics. When in reality, we do have an economic problem. Clearly, clearly, I can I can show you all of the economic roots of systemic racism. That is one thing I harp on on a regular basis. Racism is just the tool of 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 economic exploitation. White supremacy itself was no for nothing else but to pull money out of people to extract wealth out of people. I can definitely show you the economic roots and that if we undo some of the economic problems, if we undo some of the things that were done to us in 1981 and, and, and hence after, then then it would make it better for everyone. However, there are additional problems and there are additional problems that must be addressed. And I'm so glad that there are some pragmatic adults on Bernie Sanders team who can say, you know what? Saturday we had a little bump in the road, but we can absolutely win the minority vote for two reasons. One, Bernie has a great track record. That's that's true for three reasons. One, he has a great track record. Two, his economic policies are actually absolutely in line with the very same criticism of black people that we have for. I'm sorry, the criticism that black people have of Barack Obama. The criticism that most black people have of Barack Obama is that he's not far enough to the left. Believe it or not. I mean, think about it. Well, maybe you don't go. So let me let me vouch for let me let me let me tell you about it. When I go to barbershops to get my hair cut, which I absolutely need to do, right? I don't hear anybody criticizing Obama about austerity. Man, we just need a little bit more austerity. If we just cut taxes a little bit more, everything will be great for the black community. No, no. The critique of Barack Obama and the modern Democratic Party is that from African-Americans is to the left of Barack Obama, not the right. We are upset because uh, politicians have been bought by by lobbyists and corporations. We, I mean, so so Bernie Sanders can win for that reason. But then finally, Bernie Sanders can win because he, at his core, is a populist. But if we don't, if we get so caught up, and this is why I titled it, what I titled it this morning, if we get so caught up on trying to defend Bernie instead of trying to make Bernie better, for the general election and make him better to absolutely destroy Hillary Clinton, then we're going to do more damage to Bernie than we are good. And that's really all I've been saying all week long. But, you know, sometimes when you when you title things in a very in a, and you title it in a negative connotation, people can't see. Right. That's why I said, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to title it, you know, anything negative. I'm going to say everything positive this morning, but I'm going to say the same exact thing that I've been saying all week. Now, back to the Sandra Bland video and Bernie Sanders and why Saturday was so important. What happened at Netroots Nation was pivotal. I cannot stress to you enough what happened on Saturday was a gift to Bernie Sanders and Martin O'Malley. And that's why I think Hillary Clinton lost out by not being there. You're not challenged. Challenges 
Okay, here's my here's my philosophical idealistic side. Challenges make you stronger. And listening to Bernie Sanders now, he absolutely he probably understood before Saturday. Right. But he didn't have the verbiage. He didn't have the language. He didn't have the talking points. And he was he was more timid with regard to just coming out and unashamedly saying that there is systemic racism in America. If you cannot say that sentence right now without fear of without fear of what people are going to say, you cannot get the minority vote. And if we're talking about how Bernie can win. The only way he could win is if he is a better advocate for African-American issues than Barack Obama, which is easy. And he's a better advocate for women issues than Hillary Clinton, which is the whole. Well, that's the next phase. <laughs> Do you think you think Bernie has had a battle <laughs> with a with a with a segment with a uh, with a demographic with minorities? This is just entry level. Wait until Bernie has to address women's specific issues, which I think he's capable of doing. I'm not doubting that. What I'm saying is the woman, the women vote, the female vote. I can't even say the right grammar this morning. I got too much coffee in me, folks. The female vote is almost locked down for Hillary Clinton. Of course, there's some outliers. Yes, there are going to be some segments that uh, that wouldn't vote for Hillary if their life depended on it. Right. We're talking about the average. Bernie Sanders has to go in like a bat out of hell and capture that demographic as well. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the only way Bernie Sanders can give Hillary enough hell to to actually win this primary. All right, let's get to some politics. A lot has been going on. I want to talk a little bit about Bernie Sanders. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders was uh, interviewed uh, over the weekend. He said that economic inequality and institutional racism are parallel problems that must be addressed simultaneously. I could not agree with Bernie more. Let's take a look at the clip. I've been involved in the civil rights movement all of my life. And I believe that we have to deal with this issue of institutional racism. But this is what I also believe. And speaking to the SCLC last night, this is what I quoted. Martin Luther King, when he died, when he was assassinated, understood and was working on a poor people's march. We have to end institutional racism, but we have to deal with the reality that 50% of young black kids are unemployed. That we have massive poverty in the America, in our country, and we have an unsustainable level of income and wealth inequality. The criticism that's come to you at this, though, is that your answer is always economic injustice and that um, many African-American activists believe, no, 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 you've got to deal with race. Racism is a separate, institutional racism is a separate problem from economic injustice. They are parallel problems. They are absolutely correct. This is such a simple thing that so many people, actually both on the left and right, but for different reasons, don't always seem to understand Income inequality is a huge problem, and it has numerous causes. Racism is a huge problem, and the institutional component of racism is definitely very much connected to the problem of income inequality. Uh, You could take any ethnic or cultural identifier 
and see a pattern of similar issues depending on the level of the uh, economic ladder that those individuals sit at. So Bernie Sanders, first of all, needs to be really careful, and I say this slightly jokingly, but actually not. Many people who have pointed out the connection uh, between racism and economic inequality and disparities have been attacked, some even assassinated in history. So we have to think about that. But the Venn diagram of these issues really does overlap a lot. Income inequality has its own set of problems that aren't necessarily race issues. Racism has its own problems, which aren't necessarily income inequality problems. Poor white people have been screwed pretty badly in this country, but they still have some of the advantages that can be lost when you don't have whiteness as a factor, as a trait in the United States. Race is sort of the elephant in the room when we're talking about income inequality. Income inequality is heavily racialized. The legacy of discrimination means that black people and Hispanic people and Native Americans are much more likely to suffer from a lack of opportunity, which can lead to higher unemployment, higher poverty rates, etc. And that is a factor, of course, in income inequality. So it, it doesn't necessarily make for good politics for candidates to be so direct in saying, yeah, not only income inequality, but race and its connection all need to be addressed. That can be political suicide in many cases, because there are people who think that either racism is not a problem or that it's not a problem that we should be working to fix. Uh, but it is the reality, no question about it, and absolutely fantastic that Bernie Sanders is, is saying this. If you're supposedly so progressive, what does that actually mean? If you are, if you're so progressive and you're sitting there uh, critiquing uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement as they're screaming for help, and like, and like, I've I've heard so much different bullshit from folks, and not to be funny, it's white pro folks, and I know yeah. that white and, and white progressives are very angry at the idea of being called white progressives. Oh my god, it's racist! It's How like, can you be so racist? You're calling us white because you're white. That's not, you got yeah. And you're progressives, and your whiteness is directly related to the way that you are interacting with black progressives it's really not that hard and the fact is it's to to be offended at the idea of being referred to as a white progressive by the way uh, the, uh, the thing is i'm saying like white progressive tm like uh, i'm tired of being re referred to as white progressive tm uh i saw that from our from, from a friend of the show nicole sandler um, <laughs> I, um and so which is funny because the whole concept of the whole white progressive tm was specifically because we started using it with white people, white people TM, and white progressives. Um, uh, Amani, didn't you use it with another group? As well? I said, yeah, I do white feminists TM, white feminist TM because I want people to about, know. It's about it's, the brand. It's about the brand. It's not about individual people. And right. if whatever someone is, if people, if, when people are saying stuff about white progressives or white feminists and it doesn't apply to you, then it doesn't apply to you. Don't worry about if, if it. You are, if you are not actually, if you are not actively uh, a part of the brand, 
then it's not really a critique on you. But and the fact that you, know, you get upset when it when someone says white progressives mean that it is about you, and then you have some deeper issues to deal with. And the, I, the, the so oh, how dare you? You mentioned stuff like first of all, like like white folks just in general need to get over that because the fact is that black folks refer to as black all the time. And the thing is, that, like I've said this so many times, it is not an issue that you call me black. It is the, whatever the thought process that comes after you say black. Right. So if you say, hey, a black guy walked in the room, whatever, I don't care. Hey, a black guy walked in the room, hold my purse. Right. <laughs> then we have a problem. Right. And same thing with white folks. If I said, the white progressives, white people are there, whatever. If I was like, all white people are crackers, which by the way, I don't even think it's that problematic in general, but whatever. If I was actually making a claim on all white folks, then that's one thing. But specifically to call out the brand of white progressives, which... If you don't understand that progressive, that progressivism, like the, the the space itself, has been predominantly white people yeah. for decades, like literally, this is just what it is. The fact is, that's why when I when I talk to people of color, when I first started going to Netroots, and I was like, "Hey, you, 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 other people, you guys coming to Netroots?" And they're like, "No, it's all a bunch of white people over there." And I got there, and I was like, "Holy shit, this place is white! It's so white!" Like the progressive movement, when you look at progressive orgs, like D, I believe in the DFA uh, a statement, because like Amani keeps talking about uh, the. Democracy for America uh, actually changed how they're going to be uh, uh, dealing with uh, candidates and what questions they will be asking when they uh, when they are doing endorsements and shit like that, mm-hmm. and to include racial justice because this is something that hasn't been uh, included. Which, by the way. And not, just, and not just racial justice, white supremacy, structural racism, the movement for black lives. I mean, I, I'm not like a presidential historian, but I feel pretty safe in saying that this is the first time in, in America's history that Democratic candidates are going to have to speak directly about white supremacy and racism. Actually- and why is that? That's because those black women stood up there at Netroots and shouted, listen to what I'm saying. Say her name. Which side are you on? That is directly because of that. And so you still have these white folks who are still complaining about how unruly and unstrategic and how black, black, the Black Lives Matter, they don't have an agenda. You need to calm fuck out. Um, You need to (laughs) just seriously stop it. That's ridiculous. So this is just a note that uh, came from uh, DFA, from uh, uh, Democracy for America. This is what they they sent out, uh, uh, I uh, I think, on Monday. Monday. Uh, they said, as Time Magazine reported on Friday, Democracy for America is making some big important changes to our endorsement process. In a piece highlighting DFA's de- decision to evaluate how candidates, local, state, and federal, are addressing structural racism, Time reporter Sam Frizzle uh, wrote, uh, the new approach announced by DFA marks a significant shift for, for one of the country's largest progressive activist networks and reflects the influence of the Black Lives Matter movement it's having. Uh, because uh, we're a family here at uh, DFA, I want to take a moment to explain these changes to hear your thoughts and hopefully start a real, perhaps challenging conversation within our community about how the progressive movement should address structural racism. At Netroots Nation this year, a team of black women affiliated with the Black Lives, uh, 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 with the movement for black lives. Actually, I mean, like Patrice Keller, she's like one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, but okay. Um, uh, incredible, uh, conducted an incredibly effective direct action during the presidential town hall with Governor O'Malley and, uh, Martin O'Malley and Senator Bernie Sanders. So by the way, so DFA. Democracy for America is literally saying like that. No, that was actually really good. That was actually really effective right. what they did. But no, 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 but no. Please, white people, stick, continue, continue to complain. complain. Yeah, yeah please Com- uh, complain about how it's so strategic right. and black people are so stupid, so not- rude. And oh my God, you're ruining net roots. No one's ever going to want to show up at net roots and, again. And like- I, I'll have a statement about that. The organizers called on both candidates to directly acknowledge the black women who have died in, in the custody of police, including Sandra Bland, who was found dead in her jail cell in Texas just days earlier. And they asked them to specifically lay out what they would do in office to disrupt. 
and dismantle structural racism in our criminal justice system and beyond. Both candidates disappointed the Black Lives Matter organizers with the answers. They disappointed me as well. I want to be very clear. I have respect for all of the presidential candidates, and I plan to uh, fight hard alongside of them and you to advance a progressive platform this year and uh, in the year in the years to come. That said, I want to explain why I believe the answers were inadequate and how important I think it is for us as a movement to start pushing ourselves and candidates for all office for better answers when it comes to racial justice. You can read the rest of this uh, with uh, over at um, a de- a Democracy for America, but the point is that like they are actively this, this space. Understands that they need to hear things, and when, and in fact, it's that like I, the fact is we know, like I know I'm right, like the, I, I know the, I know for a fact that we are in fact on the right side of history. Of course we are, dude. People, activists in the future are going to look back at the Black Lives Matter movement and use that as an example for how to do direct action and activism. Anyone who, after reading the DFA press release, still thinks that those black women were just stupid and rude and unruly, and you, you're wrong. You're just absolutely wrong they had a goal they set their goal now everybody has to talk about the killing of black people at the hands of the police thanks for listening everyone you know, et cetera, et cetera. If you'd like to call in, leave a message in response, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. I obviously let this show run way long. There was a lot to be said, and I only have time for one final analogy to cap it all off. Listeners know I'm a big fan of analogies. I recognize they are all totally imperfect, but I think they are good learning tools. So if after all of that, you still have even an inkling of a question as to why we say black lives matter instead of all lives matter, or if you know, but you'd like another tool in your tool belt to help educate other people, then here's an analogy that went sort of viral on Reddit because it seems to be educating a lot of people on this. It's getting through to people who could not be gotten through to otherwise. So here's the analogy. Imagine that you're sitting down to dinner with your family, and while everyone else gets a serving of the meal, you don't get any. So you say, I should get my fair share. And as a direct response to this, your dad corrects you, saying, everyone should get their fair share. Now, that's a wonderful sentiment. Indeed, everyone should. And that was kind of your point in the first place, that you should be part of everyone, and you should get your fair share also. However, dad's smart-ass comment just dismissed you and didn't solve the problem that you still hadn't gotten any. The problem is that the statement, I should get my fair share, had an implicit two at the end of it. I should get my fair share, too, just like everyone else. But your dad's response treated your statement as though you meant, only I should get my fair share, which clearly was not your intention. As a result, his statement that, Everyone should get their fair share, while true, only served to ignore the problem you were trying to point out. That's the situation with the Black Lives Matter movement. Culture, laws, the arts, religion, and everyone else repeatedly suggest that all lives should matter. Clearly, that is a message that already abounds in our society. The problem is that, in practice, the world doesn't work that way. And it goes on a little bit from there, but you get the idea. I'm going to link to this in the show notes so you can read the whole thing and share it widely and help 
educate. It is not the job of the Black Lives Matter movement to cater to the lowest common denominator of uncomfortable white people. It is the job of knowledgeable white people and anyone else who wants to join in to educate everyone and get us all on board so that when people say Black Lives Matter, they don't hear an echo of All Lives Matter or much worse, White Lives Matter. That's going to be it for today. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained We can't see past all the sad stories And wonder why we're missing We can't see past all the sad stories And